Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is God's Word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You that we are not alone in the Christian walk. Lord, thank You that we are not the only ones going through life, experiencing what we experience, the trials, the difficulties, at times suffering. Thank You, God, that You have given us so many people who have gone before us who have experienced suffering and trials and difficulties all by faith, and You have sustained them. You have enabled them, Lord. Thank You for giving them as witnesses to us that we, too, can endure by faith in You. Father, I pray this morning that You would, you would encourage everyone this morning who's downcast, who's weary, who's experiencing difficulties and struggles, maybe trials, temptations, that, Lord, through You, by faith, they can endure. Father, I pray that you would help all of us not look to ourselves, not look to our abilities, not look to even our weaknesses, Lord, but look to you. And that we would all have an increasing faith in you for running this race with endurance as we look to you. I pray these things in your name. Amen. I still remember, maybe you saw the movie, I still remember when I saw the movie Chariots of Fire. Anybody ever see that movie back from 1981? Uh, that dates you if you saw the movie. Um, most of the people under 30 are, are wondering, what in the world are you talking about? I, I talked to my kids about it, and they said, I said, you know, the movie Chariots of Fire. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I said, really? You've seen it? And they said, uh-huh. Great. What's it about? It's about these chariots, and they're on fire. No, it's nothing about that at all, actually. So um, <laughs> I still remember when I saw the movie. It was a movie about a Scottish runner named Eric Little. He was uh, first and foremost a devoted disciple of Jesus. And I remember seeing the movie, and I remember being inspired. I was like nine years old, and for a few weeks after seeing the movie, I would go out and I would try to run just like Eric Little. I would pick up my legs like him, I would throw back my head like him, and I would, I would just try to be Eric Little. I even timed my runs. They were never as fast as his somehow, but his story was compelling, he has a compelling story. He was born in China where his parents, they were serving as missionaries. He spent formative years in Scotland growing up in a boarding school and he was the best athlete in his school, four years running. By the time of the 1924 Olympics, he was favored to win the 100 meter race. And he spent most of his career up to then practicing for shorter races, the 200 meter and the 100 meter. And he'd, he'd never done any long races before, but the problem was after he qualified for the final heat of the 100 meter race he found out that the 100 meter race was going to be held on a Sunday and he had a conviction that he wasn't to do sport or work on a Sunday and so instead he switched races to a longer race one he had never run before in his entire life never competed at the international level 
And it was the 400-meter race. He ran a fast qualifying time, but it was nowhere near the international times that everybody else was making. And he was, he was definitely not the favored one. He wasn't expected to win the gold. But in the movie, the scene shows this, this trainer coming up to him right before, the, right before the race. And he hands him a piece of paper. And on the piece of paper, it says, it says in the old book, He that honors me, I will honor And then in the movie, he clutches this piece of paper and he takes off like a shot and he goes around the corner and it's it's better than any other race. And he has his head back and it's like this. I was watching it the other day and wondering, why does he have his head back so far? He can't see anything. And he's running really fast. And in the midst of his run, you hear Eric's voice saying, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I remember being inspired when I was a kid hearing that. And I was like, yeah, I want to run like Eric Little. (laughs) And then stories of people like Eric Little, they're motivating. They, They inspire us to run faster, to run harder, to train, to persevere. I didn't even like running as a sport, actually. I hated running as a sport. But after I saw this, it made me want to run. And his story, it just stuck with me. And Eric Little, in case you didn't know, went on to win the 400-meter the race in the 1924 Olympics and set a, a world record at the time. Stories like his, they're meant to spur us on. If you haven't seen the movie, go, go take your kids and sit down and find it somewhere. And if you can still find it to rent it or funded at Walmart, but stories like those are meant to encourage us that we can, we can do it, we can run, we can overcome the odds, and then we can make it. If you've been tracking in the book of Hebrews so far, the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 has been going through person after person who made it, person after person who finished the race against all odds, person after person, Abel and Noah, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And the the testimony of all of their lives, they're meant to function. They're meant to show us that God was at work in all of their lives and He enabled them to do it. They're meant to spur us on to see that, yes, we too can run the race. We too can finish. We can finish well by God's grace, by His enabling power in the midst of our weakness and frailty and failings and our flawed personalities and all our oddities and quirks. Because all these people had some oddities and quirks and failings. But we're meant to see those people be inspired and say, yes, if God enabled them to do it, then He can enable me to run this race with endurance as well. The author, he's recalled the parting of the Red Sea and how the children of Israel, they, they crossed the Red Sea by faith. We've been reminded of Jericho's walls falling by faith. And the faith of Rahab, the prostitute, seeing that it isn't the merit of the person of faith that matters, it's the object of their faith, it's their faith in God that matters, not not their ability, not their inherent worth, not how defiled or dirty they were even. She was an unlikely person. But seeing her faith in God and how God enabled her to run the race with endurance... Seeing that faith in God and how God accepts all who come to Him in humble, dependent faith. The passage from last week, the Holy Spirit brought to mind the stories of Gideon and Barak. 
Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel and the prophets. We've been reminded of all these people who by faith did all sorts of amazing things. Including, as Aaron reminded us this morning, suffering, being destitute, wandering about in, in skins of sheep and goats, being sawn in two by faith. Dying, being mistreated. In verse 39 of chapter 11, it tells us of all of these. It says, all of these. And it's referring back to this great cloud of witnesses. They were commended not through their merit. They weren't commended through their ability. That's meant to encourage us. They weren't commended through their merit. They weren't commended through their ability or their circumstances. But through their faith in God. Even though they didn't receive what was promised in this lifetime. And then verse 40 tells us that God has something better for us. And we know that there's something better from really the whole first part of the letter to Hebrews. If you've ever read through the book of Hebrews, you've seen that God has provided Jesus Christ for us as His only Son to remove our sins, to suffer in our place because we deserved to suffer, to identify with us in every way, in every area where we were weak. He can identify with us in our weaknesses. We've seen that Jesus is better than the angels. He's greater than the prophets, better than the law. He's our great high priest. He's removed our sins by taking our sins on himself. He's been the ultimate faithful one. He perfectly obeyed, completely trustworthy in every way. And he provides for all who have faith and trust in him. And he provides unlimited, unhindered access to God. To the throne of God's grace. And even more than the Christians who first received this letter, we don't stand alone. And it's good to know that because we go through trials, we go through difficulties, we go through temptations, we go through suffering. Life is not easy. Not everything's a pretty picture. We don't want to paint a false picture of reality here. We're real people going through real tough times. And yet we have a real faithful God who's able to sustain We stand in a long line of people who've overcome and endured not because of their ability but because of their faith in God. They've been sustained and upheld through suffering, through hardship, through great trials and suffering and even dying. I hear motivational. It's like chariots of fire all of a sudden. It's, I want to start running now. (laughs) I can hear the music. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Sorry for those who are listening on the audio. You have no clue what's going on. There was uh, some kind of tone playing in the background. So let's move on. Uh, for, for, for many chapters, we've been receiving great truth. And we're meant to do something with the truth that we have. You see, our doing, our are responding to the truth of God's Word. It doesn't earn us anything. It's all by faith. But our faith, it does compel us to do something. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're wondering if you can go on. You're, you're having a hard time in life. You're struggling. You're wondering if you can endure. Yes is the answer. You can endure by faith. But not in your own ability. In the main passage of this text, it's, it's not complex. It's not... It's not difficult, but it is crucial to living the Christian life by faith. There's a, there's a crucial part 
of this passage that we're meant to get that's really important to living the entire Christian life. And if you miss this part, this point, really you miss one of the most crucial parts of the Christian life. And I think the author, the Holy Spirit's wanting us to know something this morning. And he's wanting us to run with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You see, there's no way that we can run with an endurance on our own. The only way we can run with endurance in the Christian life is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, the Christian life is not about trying to like be better on our own. It's not about trying to look better. It's not about trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It's about running with endurance. How? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, by trusting in Him, knowing that He's the one who's going to enable us to endure. Remember when I was in English class, my teacher told me to look for the main clause of a sentence and to get the main idea of what the author was trying to say. And really the main clause in the sentence is found in the second part of verse 1. And it's found in the action and it's pointing us to something. The therefore, it's pointing us ahead to the clause that says, Run with endurance. And really, it's just the first point of the passage this morning, and it's simple, and it's that we're to run with endurance. We're to run, and we're to run with endurance. We're to run with endurance. The first verse says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what he's saying is we're surrounded by this dense multitude of people. This is not like, you know, your grandmother's looking down and, and watching you. It's not saying that, surrounded in that sense. What it's saying is that we have this, this whole history of people in the Bible that are serving as witnesses. They're, they're testifying of, of the fact that God can sustain you through even the most difficult, crummy experiences in life. They're witnessing to the fact that God can enable you, that God can allow you and enable you to endure and run with endurance and run in a way that He'll reward you. And we're surrounded by people who testify that normal, flawed, weak, inadequate, dirty people can be saved by the grace of God and transformed into people who live for Him. Not only in the Bible, we're surrounded by lots of eyewitness accounts People in history like John Fox or David Brainerd or William Carey or Adoniram Judson or John Bunyan. Those we know today have gone before us. Maybe you have grandmothers or uncles or parents or friends who've died clinging to the promises of God, running faithfully to the end. Maybe you have somebody in mind who lived their life in God. And they've been a witness of God's saving and sustaining grace. They weren't strong in themselves, but yet you've seen them be faithful to the end. We're meant to remember them. They're meant to serve as testimonies to us. We're meant to recall the stories of how God had saved them and God redeemed them and how God enabled them to run faithfully to endure all that life held, not by their own merit, but by faith in Him. You see, life requires faith, doesn't it? Life is daunting at times. We're not meant to pretend that life is all merry and that life has no problems and difficulties. We're meant to have joy in Him, but we're meant to see that we have this great cloud of witnesses. And that great cloud of witnesses is meant to inspire us to see that God can enable us even when it seems like all hope is lost. Maybe you've lost hope this morning. God wants to encourage you. You can run with endurance seeing this great cloud of witnesses around you. Their lives testifies to the certainty of our success. And it, it's, it's meant to be like we, as we run 
the race of life. It's like we're running down this avenue and on every side we can see, okay, there's Abel, there's Abraham, there's Moses, there's, there's all these great heroes of the faith and they're testifying to the fact that God is able to sustain us. That God's able to, uh, to make us endure to the end. Men like Joseph who were put in prison for 21 years in captivity saying that no, God is able to sustain us and He's the one who redeems us. We're meant to see that because God's rewarded each and every one of them and as they've endured through any and every kind of circumstance that He's going to reward us too. That's our hope. And then look down in, your, in the Bible there. It says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. When I was younger, I was a Boy Scout. And... They used to take us at least twice a year on these really long hikes. And I remember the first time, I think it was about 12 years old, and they took us on this really long hike, and he told us what to pack. And so I put everything that I thought I needed and I thought that was necessary in my pack. And I had this very large backpack that my dad had bought for me with this big metal frame, and I put it on, and I think it was bigger than me. And as I'm put on this backpack, and I, I packed this huge cloth sleeping bag that was about that big around, and... And I had an old tent with a bulky aluminum frame. And I took clothes and basically anything I thought I might want for a couple days. I thought it was smart bringing all that stuff. And I got to the meeting place and the scout master, he said, show me everything that you guys have. And so we took our packs out and he said, now take everything out. And we took everything out and put it on the pavement in front of us. And as he proceeds through each pack, he was asking us, he said, no, you don't need that. 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 And he's weeding out through all these things that we thought we needed. I'm like, no, I need that sleeping bag. It's, it's, it's comfortable. It's big. And he said, no, it's heavy. And then we went through kind of a negotiation. And some kids, they, you know, they wanted to bring their Coleco head-to-head. I don't know if you remember that or not. If you're under, if you're, if you're under 30, you have no idea what I, what I just said. Coleco. No, it just whoosh, right over your head. Coleco head-to-head. It was this little thing with these little dots that were supposed to be football players. And these little dots moved. And it was fun. Okay, so um, we, and just think of it as the old school version of the Nintendo 3DS, okay? It's the real, real old school version of that. But, so we would negotiate for these kinds of things, trying to keep these things that we thought we needed, that we wanted. We thought we, thought we needed these things because we were going to be bored on the hike, and we thought we'd be playing this on the hike on the way. And We'd never done the Appalachian Trail before. But after our leader went through our packs... We went through a long, for a very, very long hike. I don't remember how many miles it was. It was at least a 10-mile long hike. And for a 12-year-old boy, it seemed like a never-ending hike. And I remember, I don't know, about mile three or so, all of a sudden, I thought, man, this pack is heavy. And then as we're approaching the end of our hike, I just remember thinking, I should have listened. I should have relieved myself of a lot more things. Some of those things I negotiated for, they really weren't necessary. They, were, they, they weighed me down. They made it heavy. They made it hard for me to walk. Everything I negotiated to keep, I was wishing I left behind. And through several miles of up and down that Appalachian Trail, I began to feel the weight and it slows you down. There were times we had to stop because one of us would get too tired to keep going because the weight was too much. It kept, kept us from enduring. Not only was it too much to hike, I thought, what if a bear comes out and we have to run? We're, we're done. We're t- <laughs> like about mile seven or eight, if a bear came, we'd just be like, okay, here you go, fresh meat. 
Um, it, it would have been impossible for us to run because we were too weighed down. We had too much weight. The author of Hebrews, he's saying that in our lives, we need to make sure that we're not getting weighed down by the things in life that we, we feel like we need, but really they keep us from running effectively. We feel like, God, I really need these things. I really need these things to run, Lord. I really need these things for the race. And God says, no, you don't really need those things. I want you to set those aside. Get rid of everything that's weighing you down. Those aren't bad things. You know, Coleco head-to-head, it's a good thing. These aren't bad things, but they weigh us down. They're unnecessary for the race. Imagine an Olympic runner carrying a 100-pound pack. It just wouldn't be possible. Eric Little would not have run around the track with a 100-pound pack and won the race. It would, have, it would have weighed him down. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, get rid of everything that weighs you down in life. You have things weighing you down. An endurance race that you're called to, you need to be careful. We won't get weighed down by things that we want to take with us. Maybe things that aren't sinful or bad in themselves, but the things that are weighing you down. Maybe you're weighed down with a lot of surfing on Pinterest or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or blogs or making just wasting time on the internet endlessly. These things aren't bad, by the way. Don't you're like, oh no, he said Pinterest. Oh my gosh, I spent time on Pinterest. I just posted something this morning. Actually, I just posted something five minutes ago. I hope he didn't see it. No, those things aren't bad. I've, I've got Facebook, I've got Twitter, and I'm not against the internet. It's a, it's a great blessing. It's helpful to me most days. <laughs> but we can get weighed down from so many things that keep us from running, that distract us, that just eat up our time. I'm so prone to this myself. I get distracted with pretty much anything, and I need to guard against wasting my time on things that don't help me run. Youth, you need to ask yourself if what you're doing, it, does it helping you run your race with endurance or is it distracting you from running for God? Don't fool yourself to thinking that you have the rest of your lives, youth. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're, you're under the age of 18, don't think, you know what, I've got till tomorrow. I've got the rest of my life to worry about that, to focus, to get serious, to think about my walk with God. And No, don't, don't live that way. How you live now matters. Don't cut yourself slack. Run with endurance now. Throw off whatever weight's keeping you from following hard after Jesus. Adults, you're not immune to it either. From idle pursuits that keep us from being affected for Jesus. I remember I was just reading about John Piper commenting on these verses. And he, he said something. And he says, this was revolutionary. He says, what it did, and I hope it does the same for you, was show me that the fight of faith, the race of the Christian life, is not fought well or run well by asking, what's wrong with this or that? But by asking, is it in the way of greater faith and greater love, greater purity, greater courage, greater humility, greater patience, and greater self-control. Not is it a sin, but does it help me run? Is it in the way? He says, as a boy, I was mightily helped by having my very categories changed in the way I live my life. I commend it to you young people especially. Don't ask about your music, your movies, your parties, your habits. What's wrong with it? Ask, does it help me run the race? Does it help me run for Jesus? Hebrews 12.1 is a command to look at your life, think hard about what you're doing, and get ruthless about what stays and what goes. Not only that, Scripture is not just saying throw off every weight. 
because you can't run with a big backpack on. It's saying, throw off every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll, you'll admit that sin does cling so closely. The verses here, they're not referring to some specific sin, but it's referring to the fact that sin clings closely to all of us. It clings to us. It wraps its ugly self around our legs and it keeps us from running effectively. I have a friend who was in special forces. I'll call him Bob. Can't use his real name, but he was a communications guy for the team. And as a, as a commo guy, he carried this heavy pack full of gear. And he was usually in the back of, the, of his team. And he told me the story of how he was going through the jungle in Africa one time. And as he was going along... It was such hard going that the guys in the front were having to hack their way through this jungle. And they're hacking their way through. All of a sudden he hears a commotion up front. He's ready. He's got his weapon. He's ready. He's hearing. He's, he's looking around. He doesn't see anything. And all of a sudden the guys start screaming and running off the path. And then they all, all, he's like, what in the world's going on? And then the guy in front of him screams and runs off the path. And then right in front of him, about this high, was a massive black mamba coming right towards him. And if a black mamba, if you've never heard about them, they, they get up to like 14 feet long. They can go up to 12 miles an hour. It's the world's fastest snake and one of the most venomous snakes. I don't think he was thinking all those facts. He was just thinking, massive snake coming towards me. And so this black mamba is, is sailing towards him. And they, they kind of they cruise up like this. And they're very aggressive. And he was coming right at Bob. And as, as he was coming at him, he turned and he went to run. And he couldn't run fast enough. He had this big weight on him. And so what happened was this, this mamba, it went around his legs and it wrapped him up as he was running. And it took him down and he fell. He couldn't move. This thing was about this thick around and he, he couldn't move. He couldn't go anywhere. And this, it had him on the ground and then it's repeatedly striking his thighs. Strike after strike after strike and he's terrified. His arms are up here and he's like, ah! And he's, he's kind of screaming like a baby he was saying. And he was like yelling like a girl. Ah! This big, tough commando. Fortunately, he had, he had snake gaiters on. Don't worry. He, he, didn't, he didn't die. And he told me the story. And uh, a friend of him... A friend of his came up to it and as the snake was striking, took a machete and kind of lopped off the snake's head. But sin, sin sometimes surprises you and it, and it clings closely and it keeps you from running. It wraps itself around you and it's this ugly thing that tries to kill you. At times we can toy with sin and forget that it's a venomous viper. And it's out to kill us and to keep us from running. Now, I don't know what kind of sin you need to throw off, but I do know that most of us, actually all of us, must throw off sin because it clings closely. And it keeps us from running. It, it's seeking to take us down. It implies that we're meant to be aware of sin. We're meant to be looking. We're meant to see that sin is clinging closely and make an effort to throw it off by God's grace. And I don't know what that sin is for you that God's convicting you of you need to throw off that's hindering your race. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's drunkenness or an idol of entertainment. Maybe it's lust or anger or bitterness or resentment. Maybe it's gossip or slander. Maybe you're worried about what people think about you. Maybe you're self-righteous. Maybe you need to throw off something else. Something that nobody else sees that's seemingly okay that you're coddling. 
Whatever sin it is that's entangling you, throw it off because it keeps you from running and is seeking to kill you. This kind of running with endurance, this kind of throwing off every weight and the sin which clings closely doesn't just happen. It takes planning, it takes being purposeful. When Eric Little, he won the 1924 Olympics, it was, it was yes, it was God enabling him and he felt God's pleasure as he ran and that was a great moment, but, but he trained and he planned and he did all that he could. He was purposeful, he had a goal in mind for years. He had the finish line in mind and he ran with a purpose, aware of every step diligently pursuing it and we're called to run the christian life to run this this race that we've been called to this this is not a it's not a sprint it's a marathon we've been called to run it with purpose it's not meant to be an accidental race and i would encourage maybe as a way of application i think some of us and i encourage all of us maybe to take a a few hours aside and then in the coming weeks and get alone with god and Say, God, what do I need to change in my life? What do I need to get right in my life? What, do I, what, do, what weights do I need to just set aside, to lay off, to, to throw off of me? What sin is entangling me? What sin is clinging closely to me? And then ask God what He would do, have you do about it. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, take some time to think about how you're running. And as you do, here's some things to watch out for. Don't navel gaze. Don't, don't become too discouraged about what you're not doing. But if the Lord convicts you, respond in faith, knowing that he'll, he'll cleanse you. He'll make you able to respond. Another trap to avoid is thinking that your performance, either good or bad, somehow makes you pleasing to God. When you fail, that doesn't make you displeasing to God. When you are great, that doesn't make you pleasing to God. It's your faith in God and in, in the work that Jesus did for you. You can't add to or take away the merit that Jesus has earned for you. Another thing to watch out for, don't get caught up looking to yourself. Don't get caught up looking and comparing yourself to other runners. Look, you're running your own race. They're running theirs. God hasn't called you to run their race. He hasn't called them to run yours. He's called you to run your race. And He's designed to build each and every one of you for your own race. You can't run their race even though you think it would be easier. Just be grateful the Master handpicked you for your own race and He has enabled you for it. And then let me encourage you, if you take some time aside, maybe take a couple hours, take your pen and paper, or if you don't know what paper is, take, a, take your tablet aside, cut off the Wi-Fi, cut off, your, cut off the 3G or 4G or whatever it is, and... Spend some time asking God, what's, what's one habit, what's one indulgence that you want me to put aside that's hindering my, my run? What's one area that I, I've been indulging and sinning in that you want me to put aside? Maybe it's reducing watching your TV time or the internet or maybe it's what you're reading or your hobby or whatever it is the Holy Spirit's making you aware of right now. Then let me encourage you, don't be discouraged. We have a great cloud of witnesses that God's enabled to run with endurance. Remember, this is an endurance race. It says, look down your Bibles, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We have a race set before us. We need endurance to run it, don't we? This isn't a sprint. It's a long-distance endurance race that lasts until we die. It's, It's... 
the imagery, it's, it's of a race course that goes off in the distance ahead of us. Far beyond what we can see. I remember when we were driving across the country and we moved to Canada way back in 2000. And we're driving across the country. And if you've ever driven across the country, by the time you hit the plains, you get pretty bored with the drive. Because you realize, why in the world would anybody live in South Dakota? <laughs> it's flat. I'm sorry. If you're from South Dakota, God bless you. But I'm glad you're here because at least there's something to look at. It's just endless grass after grass after grass. I don't care if it's corn or wheat or canola or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, it's a different kind of field. Oh, good. <laughs> and, oh, I see. That one's a little yellow. That one's a more brown. <laughs> that one's darker brown. <laughs> and, but the only thing when you're driving for a while, it just gets monotonous. And this road just seems to like go on forever. It goes off in the distance, and you're like, does it ever end? And you're like, honey, you cannot fall asleep because I'm, I'm going to plow into a cornfield. We're not going to die because we're not going to hit anything. But, <laughs> but we're going to get lost in the middle of this cornfield somewhere. And <laughs> The guys who make those crop circles are going to find us. And <laughs> we don't... <laughs> But if you've been driving for a while, you get, it gets tiring and the only thing that keeps you awake, and I remember the only thing that kept me awake was, was seeing these signs. If you ever done this drive, you see these signs for Wall Drug. And it's this drug store in 300 miles away. It says, only 300 miles to Wall Drug. I'm like, what? My goodness, what in the world? And every 20 miles they have some dumb billboard for Wall Drug and it's, you know, get your cowboy on at Wall Drug. And I'm like, I don't want to get my cowboy on, but that's a funny thing. What does that mean? I want to go see Wall Drug now. And so it kind of kept me awake. It kept me focused on the drive and passed along. I was, began to look forward to seeing Wall Drug. And so after 289 miles, I'm like, I really want to see Wall Drug. And so I, just, I, I was going, I was driving, and I, I kind of sped up a little bit because I was, I was anticipating seeing Wall Drug. Now the problem is Wall Drug is just this monstrous tourist trap in a town of 800 people. But I found out that there's 20,000 visitors a day in the summertime that go and see Wall Drug. Because they're all anticipating this Wall Drug! Because all the signs, and so everybody's just keeping on the drive. They're keeping on the drive in this long, monotonous drive through grasslands. And, and Wall Drug is it's a little bit of a letdown. It's this big uh, cowboy, native, western art place. And it's every trinket you could ever want. And if you're looking for a lariat, whatever that is, or spurs for your cowboy boots, then it's a great place for you. Or maybe you're looking for a, a shirt with a wolf on it. I mean, that's, that's the place for you. But um, it's, it's disappointing. But, but the road signs, it kept my interest and it kept me thinking about the future. In, in the Christian life, we're, we're not... We're not left alone. We're given a vision and a picture of what's to come. We're meant to fix our eyes on the future. We're meant to fix our eyes on heaven. We're meant to also fix our eyes on, on Jesus. And we're meant to anticipate being with Jesus. That he's, he's seated at the right hand of God. And we're meant to see that He's already gone out ahead of us. And He's there. And He's waiting. And He's saying... Yeah, just run, and I'll be here at the end. I'll be high-fiving as you come in, and I'll be giving you a crown. And better than the free ice water that you get at Wall Drug, you'll have never-ending springs of living water. And it's meant to make us anticipate, to look, look forward to. 
where we're going, there'll be never-ending wonders because there's the all-wonderful one there. And He won't disappoint. We're headed to a heavenly kingdom where the, the King of all existence is. So don't lose hope. So we won this race. It can be monotonous at times, can it? Life can be like that. It can feel like you're just driving through South Dakota. <laughs> but we're meant to look somewhere. In verse 2, it tells us the second point the author wants us to get. That we can only run with endurance as we look to Jesus. Really, the second point, it's a very simple point, and it's just this. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. It says, first we're to run with endurance. And in our running, we're to be encouraged. There's this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. It testifies of what God has done. And it's meant to give us heart. Take heart. We can run too because all these people have finished well because of God's grace. They were losers too. They had problems. They had trials. They had difficulties. But God enabled them to endure. How did they do it? They endured by fixing their eyes on the promise. We have a better promise. We can see Jesus now. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He'll enable you to endure, but you can only run. What it's telling us, you can only run as you're fixing your eyes on Jesus. Maybe you're running life and you're trying to run through life on your own. And you're getting winded and you're realizing you can't do it. Maybe you're carrying this huge weight on you you weren't meant to carry. Maybe you're carrying a lot of baggage, a lot of sin, and you're trying really hard. And life is stinking. What are you meant to do? You're meant to go to Jesus to unload your burdens, to say, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it on my own. I'm going to give this stuff to you. The only way I can run is by looking at you. And I, I'm going to give you all my failings, all my weaknesses, all my garbage. And God, I trust you that you're going to enable me to run with endurance. You can only run as you fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the one who's going to enable you. He's the one who's going to sustain you. As Christians, we're we're not better, but we have a better one. We can only run because Jesus is the founder of our faith. He's the one who's gone out ahead of us. The word, it kind of has a connotation of He's the pioneer. He's paved the way. He's created the path. He's made a way to the Father through the cross now. And what he's saying is that we can follow after him and run because he's already earned all the merit that you know you need to earn before God and you feel so guilty that you know you haven't earned it. And what he's saying is, I've already earned it, look to me instead of looking to yourself. He was the crowning example. He was the founder, the foundation of our faith. He was the crowning example of trusting in God and we're to look to him. You know, people say in life, just hang in there. Yeah, that's kind of true, but just hang in there, hanging on to Him. You can only hang in there in life by looking to Jesus, by hanging on to Him. That's where there's real hope. It's not just living life asking, what would Jesus do? It's following Jesus' example because of what Jesus has done. Here's what He's done. He's removed all your sin from you. He says, come to me all who are weak, who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He's opened the way to the Father where before you could never have gone. 
Now he enables us in his, his footsteps to dependently look to him and trust in him all the way. He doesn't say it'll be easy, but he says, you know what? I'll enable you. I'll make you able to endure. And when you get here, we're going to have a party. <laughs> and it's better than any party you can have here on earth. It tells us he's not just the founder of our faith, he's the perfecter, it says, of our faith. In life, you know, somebody often will originate something, they'll invent something, and others will come along and perfect it. But in the case of our faith, Jesus not only originated our faith, he's the one who's perfected it. He's the one who, if you trust in him, he's our guarantee that he will make us perfect in him. Why? Because he's already lived a perfect life, and God already counts Jesus' perfect life to us. And God already sees you that way. You can come to God saying, thank you that you see me as perfect even though you know all the stuff I've done and all my failings. And God says, yeah, but I count all of Jesus' perfection to you. He's the perfecter of your faith. You're not. In Jesus' eyes, I mean, because of what Jesus has done in God's eyes, He sees you as perfect. And then it tells us He's making you perfect. He's making you more and more like Him every day. Now, don't be deluded. As Christians, we're not actually perfect. But God is making us, as we trust in Him, more and more like Him. The law, our self-atonement, the whole sacrificial system, it can't make us perfect. But Jesus is the one who's able to make you complete. In His own faith, it was shown in His endurance, it says, in the cross. He despised or He thought little of the shame. And it tells us he did it for the joy that was set before him. Look down in the Bible. It says, who for the joy that was set before him. And what does that mean? It says, it's really for the delight that was set before him. Jesus endured the cross for the delight of saving you and me. He saw you. He sees you. He endured the cross for the delight of saving all those who hope in him. He, de- he endured the cross for the delight of knowing that He's seated now with the, at the right hand of the throne of God. He kept the joy of, of being with the Father and ruling with Him in mind. And it was through that that He was able to endure the cross and despising the shame. Think about it. He could have said one word. He was the creator of the universe. He could have said one word to, to free Himself from the cross. He could have said one word and wiped out everyone, and yet he endured the cross. Why? He saw the joy of accomplishing your salvation. He saw the joy of being with the Father and then welcoming you to be with the Father. He saw the joy of welcoming you home as you endure the race. He could have wiped out all of creation to forego his suffering and the agony of the cross, but he endured it looking forward to the joy of being with God. He, enjoyed all man- he endured all manner of hostility and, and shame. He was publicly exposed. He, was, he died as a common criminal, naked on a cross. He persevered unto death for our sake. And it says he made nothing of the shame. He despised the shame. He overturned the opinions of the world by suffering. Then it says he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What does that mean? He's conquered death. We have real hope. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty and dominion and power. and He's done all of that so we might follow Him. 
so we might endure in Him, so we might have hope in Him. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, knowing He's going to enable us to share in His joy when we finish this race. Go ahead and ask the band to go ahead and come up. I'm going to sing that song, 10,000 Reasons, in a moment. After the Olympics, Eric Ludl, he, he finished his degree. He, he finished his last year of college, and then he, instead of settling down to a comfortable life, I don't know if he's a story or not, but he just won the gold medal for his country. Everyone was proud of him. He had many opportunities that fame afforded him. He could have settled down to a very comfortable life, but instead, he finished his degree and he moved to China to serve as a missionary, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ for the next 21 years. Eric Little, he could have decided to seek comfort and ease and fame, but instead he died in obscurity in a Japanese internment camp in China. This great Olympic hero, after sending his wife to children in safety, to safety in, in Canada, he dies in China at the age of 43. Because he realized the gospel of Jesus Christ and being a witness to the power of the good news of Jesus, it was more important than any worldly pursuit. It was more important than fame. It was more important than comfort. He threw off every weight. He endured in the race that really mattered. It wasn't the Olympics. And he knew that. Eric died running the race that was most important, not the 400 meter, but the race that said, I want to give everything up living for Jesus. I want to endure it all living for Jesus. And Eric, he's just one of the many witnesses that point us to the fact that the call to the Christian life, it's a call to radically trust Jesus no matter where we find ourselves. And if we endure, unlimited joy is set before us. Go ahead and stand up, if you will, please. I believe that God's wanting to encourage you. He's wanting to encourage me and you to, to throw off every weight. Maybe you've got things that are weighing you down. Throw off every weight, every distraction, everything you've been toying with. And then He wants you to, to lay aside every sin that just clings so closely. Lop off his head. See the great cloud of witnesses surround you, saying that, yeah, you can, you can be a loser by God's grace, and he'll enable you by faith to endure to the end. And in him, you're victorious, even though you might suffer. And how do you do that? He wants to encourage us to run with endurance, looking to him. Stop looking to ourselves. Maybe you need to lay things down. Maybe you need to lay your pride down. Maybe you need to give it up. And say, God, I want to live for you. I think God's calling us all to greater faith and dependence upon Him. Run, fixing our eyes on Him. Looking to Him, knowing that He reigns on high. Knowing He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that we're going to share His joy. That we'll, we'll get to be with Him and He's going to crown us. And at the end of the race, what more could you want than to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. 
See, God wants joy for each and every person here. Maybe you're not experiencing joy in your life. God wants you to experience joy now and, and real joy in eternity. Let's look to Him by God's grace. Amen.